Welcome back to He Leadeth Me, a spiritual formation podcast for focused staff, students, and friends. I'm Jessica, Manager of Spiritual Formation, and today I am joined by Father Daniel Cardell. Father Daniel is the pastor of Holy Name Parish in Denver, and he is also the Pope Benedict XVI Chair for Liturgical Studies at St. John Vianney Seminary. And he has a lot of different roles in the Diocese of Denver, including being the chaplain to Christ in the City. He is an accomplished author and a sought-after speaker. So really exciting to have you here with us today, Father Daniel. Thank you, Jessica. I'm also very excited to be with you. And so today we're going to talk about a topic that's very dear to your heart. We're doing a series on liturgy, and I wanted to talk today about liturgy and evangelization. So recently, I went to this gathering where there were a lot of representatives from different ministries present, and we were all talking about how we can become uh, a people of discipleship and especially a people of evangelization, people who share the gospel. And people were really excited about the conversation. There were lots of ideas, and it went on for some time. And then one of the priests noted there's something missing in this conversation. We've never mentioned liturgy. And I think that that's really common in conversations about evangelization. Liturgy never gets mentioned. Why do you think that is? Yeah, that's an interesting story. And, and actually, I think you're right. It's one of those things that everyone in some way can understand that it's actually important. I mean, who would deny? I mean, what kind of committed Catholic uh, less so even someone involved in, in ministry would deny that the liturgy, the mass especially, is important. And yet it is really not uncommon that in, in a setting in which we are planning an evangelization project or we're discussing or just the challenges of, of the church today, liturgy many times is, is an afterthought. You know, it's, it's something, okay, yeah, at some point we'll do mass, but then it's not really uh, often part of the conversation. Um, obviously, I mean, life is not uh, perfect, so there are many different reasons, but I can think mainly on two reasons. One is uh, that we are very pragmatic. We, we want to do things, we want to change things. And for this, many times when we are trying to evangelize, we tend to think about how to do it. And that comes first, methods, techniques, uh, programs that not only come from us, obviously all of this is with the best intentions, but also that to some degree we can quantify, control, measure. Um, we have hard times, a hard time with just being patient and, and, and working proactively and very generously, but letting God work in the way in which he wants to work. I think this pragmatic element is a very important a reason for this practical uh, ignorance or, or rather lack of attention of the liturgy. The other reason that I think it's very common as well is that in people who are very involved in the church and in church ministries and, and committees and groups like that, uh, there is an explicit at times desire to avoid what's called the liturgy wars. Mm. because it is also true and undeniable, more so even today than a few years ago, that liturgy is not only a beautiful topic, but a complicated one, 
Uh, one in which there are passions. I mean, people get really passionate. No matter where you are, what your tendencies are, so to speak, in the liturgy world, uh, there can be wars. There can be passionate discussions and debates and disagreements. And because this is true, many times there is, uh, and again, I'm, I'm thinking in some cases, an explicit choice. We are not talking about liturgy. But the thing is, in the end, if we believe that the liturgy is, as a church, very solemnly teaches the source and summit of our life and mission, is it even possible to simply ignore it for the sake of a method or, or a good conversation? Of course, the answer is no. That's a really good point, Father, that the church teaches that the liturgy is the source and summit of Christian life. And therefore, it's the source and summit of discipleship and also the source and summit of evangelization. Absolutely. Can you flesh out a little bit more for us about what that means? Yeah. I find very interesting to go back to the Second Vatican Council, the first document of the most important gathering of the church in modern times is precisely the constitution and the liturgy called Sacrosanctum Concilium. Just to read the first paragraph of this document is so enlightening and so counterintuitive because the council starts articulating the reasons for this gathering. So there are basically four reasons to make it simple. One is to renew the vigor of the Christian life. The second one is to see what can be adapted uh, in our times. The third one is to promote unity among Christians. And the third one is to call the call of mankind into the hustle of the church, so evangelization. Okay, So big tasks, which obviously demand a lot of very practical work and effort and planning. What the council says at the end of this paragraph is, the council, I'm quoting now, therefore sees particularly cogent reasons for undertaking the reform and promotion of the liturgy. This is amazing and, again, very counterintuitive because when you're thinking about all these monumental tasks, the church thinks that the first thing you need to talk about is actually the liturgy, the renewal, the reform, the promotion of the liturgy. This is the DNA of who we are. This is the mind of the church. Pope John Paul II said, actually to a group of American bishops, that if the efforts to promote the, the liturgy and to evangelize don't go hand in hand, both will falter. This connection between life in general, Christian life, particularly evangelization and liturgy, really comes in the end uh, to, to the essence of not only what we do, but who we are. I think that is a key. Obviously, we can say much more about that, but I think that is the essence. We need to start there. This is who we are as a body of Christ. This is what being a Catholic means. We are born from the liturgy. The church subsists as liturgy, said Cardinal Ratzinger. This is who we are, not just what we do. And because this is who we are, then everything we do comes from this source, and everything we do goes to the summit. That makes so much sense. And yet at the same time, it really is a big mental shift for it me is. and I think probably for a lot of people because like you said, the liturgy should be one of the first things that we tell people about when we share the gospel. 
And yet, a lot of times it isn't. Right. And it's interesting because, I mean, in, in some ways, yes, it's one of the things we should share, as in, how could you not share the greatest treasure you have? But then, on the other hand, it is true that evangelization as a proclamation of the good news, as invitation to seek something more in life, to ask the big questions, to find meaning for pain and the problems of our life, all of that, all of that really can be uh, the first steps of, of evangelization. As long as we understand very clearly that even if that leads to the verbal proclamation of the good news, that's not all. That will be something very Christian, but we're Christian Catholics. St. Passion of Barcelona, 4th century, said, my first name is Christian, my last name Catholic. You know, so we need a fullness of who we are. Again, going back to the Council to Sacrosanctum Concilium, there's a great paragraph, number seven, when the Council is explaining uh, the, the mission of the Church, that we need to go and proclaim and announce that Jesus is the victor of our death, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think in general, we get that part pretty well. We know, of course, we need to share the good news. We need to share our encounter with Christ. We just need to do it. There's no way we, as disciples of Christ, can remain silent. That makes no sense. But that's not all. The council says, after this beautiful explanation of the need to go and proclaim and preach, that the purpose of Christ was, and I'm going to read this line, that they might also accomplish the work of salvation which they had proclaimed. Which is really incredible. We're called not only to proclaim, to say, there's a verbal proclamation of the good news, but the church, because we're Catholic, the church is called also to accomplish what we have proclaimed by means of sacrifice and sacraments. So that is the distinctive identity of who we are. This is our ethos, our deepest being, uh, even in some way our advantage. I mean, this is who we are, and therefore everything really comes from this heart of the church. That is so fascinating and so beautiful uh, that it isn't just that we're supposed to proclaim the gospel, but that the church accomplishes these things. And in order for people to enter into the life of Christ, they have to be brought to the liturgy. And so really, we're evangelizing people to bring them to the liturgy. Absolutely. Yes. And that is another very important point that many times I think it's lacking in our common awareness because it is easier, going back to that phrase from the council that the church has repeated many times, that the liturgy is a source and summit of our Christian life and mission. It is easier, I think, to get the source part. Of course, we need to be fed, we need to be strengthened. But the summit part is a little bit more foreign to our common experience. And when we're thinking about what we're going to do, you know, our Bible studies, our outreach events, and all of that. Uh, I mean, I think we don't think a lot about, okay, and where's the summit? How, how can we bring them to the altar? Because that is a summit of life on earth. That is the foretaste of heaven. We're going there, you know. So that is just so beautiful to see the, the complete fullness and beauty of our life and mission, which comes from the altar in connection with a font. And then goes back there because ultimately everything that we are as a church of Christ, as a bride of Christ, comes from the heart of Christ, meaning from the open side 
of Jesus, blood and water, baptism and Eucharist. That's, again, who we are, and therefore, that becomes what we do. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I have often thought about the Mass as being the source of evangelization, especially since I'm told that ending prayer, go, you are sent, is supposed to be sending the people to evangelize the world. And yet, I don't often think of the Mass as the summit of evangelization. And that is so important as well, because that takes us to the core of what true participation in the liturgy is. Obviously, we've all seen how this idea of participating in the liturgy has been misunderstood as as doing things, you know, uh, visible external actions that you can do, uh, which can be beautiful and important uh, areas of service. But the true participation in the liturgy is to enter into the action that is being offered. And therefore, that sacrifice that we can all offer, and not only ordained priests, because this is who we are as baptized Catholics, we all share in the priesthood of Jesus Christ. And therefore, we're all called to offer sacrifice and intercede for the world, to be a bridge. And that's who we are as disciples and apostles. So this element of the Mass as a summit of my life, as a summit of my week. I mean, for many of you who are missionaries, that is a summit of your week. That is where you come after a long week in which you experience maybe a lot of amazing, beautiful things and also some challenges and some people are responding, some people are struggling. To know that I can come and bring all of those things, nice, hard, beautiful, exciting, hopes, prayers, pains, and just put my cross on the altar, place there on the altar, my hopes and prayers and needs, and that everything will be truly elevated to the Father through the prayers of the priest who is acting in the person of Christ. That is a summit. You know, that is a summit of our week. That is a summit of our day. And that fills absolutely everything with meaning and hope and love. And that's where the power in evangelization is. It doesn't come from our words or our efforts. It comes from that sacrifice that we join to the sacrifice of Jesus in the Mass. And that's where God is able to change hearts. Absolutely. And and I think that we need to consider another very important element that helps us realize that the depths of what we're talking about, and to some degree, even just the practical importance of this. And that is that the liturgy is the unfolding of God's work of salvation. There's this principle that which God did in the Old Testament as a promise, as a type, as a prefiguration, he fulfilled in the New Testament, in Jesus, as a fulfillment, as a reality. That is not all, because many times we feel as if, okay, Jesus did all these amazing things for me. What's happening now? Well, I need to be grateful and try to share that which he did. But that's not all. There is a continuation, an unfolding of that same love, of that same reality. And that's where we are. That's what makes our lives, especially if we understand ourselves as apostles and disciples, so incredibly amazing that we insert ourselves, because of God's love and grace, into this adventure of God's salvation and the ordinary way in which God continues his one work, his one plan of 
salvation is the liturgy. He did free the Israelites from slavery, the Exodus. That happened, but that's still a promise, a figure. Then he fulfilled that in the resurrection of Christ, passing through death, the waters of death, coming to a new life. And that continues in our time today in baptism. So we can make this analogy, this typology, really, uh, with all the different sacraments, you know, that fulfillment. But then that's where we live. This is our time. This is our adventure and our contribution to bring people to this source of salvation. That's the best thing we can do to someone, to share, you know, this is where God ordinarily continues to work his same wonderful deeds. That is so true. And as we're talking about uh, the liturgy being not only the source of evangelization, but also its summit, I'm thinking about how our missionaries, they will share the gospel with someone, they get them excited about Jesus, and maybe that person has never been to Mass or it's been a very long time. And the missionaries will talk about taking someone to their first Mass. And usually that experience has a little bit of trepidation on the part of the missionary because so often the person is a little bit let down. It's not the praise and worship experience that they might be used to from other churches or all of the theology is just uh, so beautiful and so incredible. And then you go and you have a little bit of difficulty entering into that theology. Father Daniel, do you have any advice for the missionaries who find themselves in that situation with students? Yeah, that's that's a challenging uh, reality. Uh, I would say for two reasons. One, because it could be, and I, I don't know if that's what you were referring to, but it could be the actual way in which a Mass is celebrated can be lacking in some things or say beauty or reverence. And that's a reality sometimes. Yes, that order is still there. Um, usually, you know, if some very basic things are done. Um, but of course, that's not the ideal. I mean, and it, it could be so much more beautiful because the liturgy in itself is beautiful. That is one possible difficulty um, in which I think it would be good to, to think on uh, a liturgical experience that can express all these beauties that are inherent to the experience of the liturgy. But then the other angle, the, the other possible challenge is that the liturgy is foreign to the postmodern mind of a millennial or a Gen Zer. It is. And it has to be, because if we adapt everything so that it will feel mm -hmm. familiar, then we would be downgrading the greatness of, of, of this mystery. Mm -hmm. right? Let me give you a, a quick example. Uh, I mean, you know me, but some people don't, but you can clearly tell I'm an, I have an accent, right? So I was born in <laughs> Lima, Peru. I've been in the U.S. for uh, 15 years. When I just arrived uh, here to Denver, uh, football was foreign to me. You know, I like soccer. Everyone likes soccer in Latin America. Football seemed complicated, uh, wild, violent. Uh, and I remember the first times I was watching with friends thinking, I don't understand this thing. I just see a bunch of people jumping into each other. And it, it made no sense to me. My first experiences in watching football were not 
great, fulfilling, <laughs> if you will. Now, this is stretching the analogy. Someone could have simplified, someone could have created a simplified version of football so that it will look more like what I like, like soccer. They could use more, they can kick the ball more, or just less rules so that it will feel more familiar. And surely I know it would precisely, I can imagine that that would have been an effect. Oh, yeah, I get it. But I'm so grateful that that didn't happen. But I had friends that step-by-step explained to me all the complexities of this world of a different sport that now I, I can appreciate precisely because it is different and foreign. And someone explained it to me patiently along the way. Again, in many ways, a terrible example because it's so different. And yet I think the idea of a different world and rules in which I need to insert myself and with a company of someone. That could be very appealing, very, very attractive. Let me use another example. I'm amazed, partly because I don't like them, <laughs> uh, about these complex, long board games that I see young people just love. And it's amazing to see how they can spend two, three hours in a game in which every five minutes they need to go back to the instructions because they don't fully get the rules. But it is precisely the entering into a different world with a different time and different rules and roles that makes it so appealing. So I believe it's a lie that young people cannot enter into the different mysterious world of the liturgy as long as someone can guide them through this different adventure. And I think if they, they this will be my main advice to a missionary. If you can tell a young person, maybe you're discipling, a Bible study, we'll go to something different, to something amazing, to something mysterious, otherworldly. You will not understand everything, but I'll walk with you step by step. I'm sure there will be an openness that eventually will be very fruitful. I think that's wonderful advice. And I have gone to different Catholic liturgies before, like Byzantine or Maronite. And some of the reason why I've enjoyed it so much is that it is a different world for me, having grown up in the Latin Rite. And sometimes you enter into something that's new and different, and it opens your eyes to different realities, realities about God and just your senses kind of feast on the beauty of the service. So I think that's a wonderful point. Uh, it's such a pleasure to talk with you. I think we're coming close here on our time. So I'm just wondering, is there anything else that you would want young people to know about entering into the liturgy or its connection with their work in evangelization? Yeah, many things. Uh, but I think the main invitation uh, would be for all of us, no matter where we are in our Christian life, in our journey, but thinking particularly about missionaries, that we ourselves can enter more fully into this world. It, it's just the depths are so incredible, and we will never say, oh, I get it all. I understand it all. I know all the history. Just to know the different rituals and practices just within the, the Roman rite, it, it is a never-ending journey, which is so amazing. The more we fall in love with what the church gives us, 
And I mean, with what the church gives us today in 2022, with all its beauty, following the wonderful, not extent of challenges, but wonderful, authentic renewal of the Second Vatican Council and understanding this, people are talking about this or that, and, you know, there are controversies or opinions, but, but there's a truth. And the Holy Spirit is guiding the church no less in 2022 than in 1960 or in the year 40. To enter there and say, okay, how is the Lord guiding me, guiding us in this mission? And how is he ordinarily feeding us with his source of all blessing and strength and leading us to his summit of all joy? How is he inviting us to enter into the world of the liturgy? The more we enter, the more we will naturally be able to share the excitement and the gratitude for such a gift. That's wonderful advice. Talking with you makes me so excited to go to daily mass. <laughs> thank you yeah. so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you, Jessica. It was great. Could you uh, give a blessing to our listeners? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. With your spirit. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father Daniel. And thank you, thank you everyone, for listening. Oh,